What's up, y'all, and welcome into today's episode of Forte Catholic. I'm so glad that you found us here today. John Blevins co-hosts today's episode, and we have kind of a more edgy show than we usually do. I've been holding something back for years. I finally decided that I wanted to talk about it. We will get to that. Uh, John and I also share our best and worst date stories as this is our last episode before Valentine's Day. Uh, What else did we talk about? Oh yeah, we also talked about how auxiliary bishops are are weird and made up and uh, go in on a pretty common statement that I've heard a lot of that I used to say that I no longer agree with. We're, uh, we might ruffle some feathers today. We hope that you guys enjoy it. Know that we're coming from a place ultimately of love, even if we show a little frustration today. Uh, so sit back, enjoy, and uh, don't send us any hate mail. What's up? And welcome to Fort Catholic. I am Taylor Stroll. That is Jonathan Lene, Bearded Blevins. What's up, Johnny Boy? What's up, Taylor Marie? Taylor Marie, that is my mom's middle name, my sister's middle name, and my daughter's middle name. And now yours. Yeah, it, it must it must have worn off on me. Also, I've noticed lately that you've been claiming a couple of different middle names for me, and uh, you need to stop that immediately. It's Lene and Lene only. Well, you only you only started claiming it recently. I, I beat you down over time. I try I threw a bunch of different ones out at you, and then we started narrowing down to a couple. And then you didn't like Lene for a while, and now you're just like, I'm so in, I'm so in for it. We're in a abusive relationship, and I'm the abuser. Sorry, and then John. I found out that you call other people Lene. Well, Lene was one that I tossed out, so I tossed it out for Allison years ago, even before you were on the show, and it didn't really stick. My favorite one for her is Jemima. Okay. But you're definitely in Lene. Good, it's mine. It's yours. I, I give it to you. I bequeath it to you, my child. <laughs> um, how are you doing, man? Dude, it is good. It is good that we are here, Taylor. Let us <laughs> let us put together some tents. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting very biblical. Um, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go too far. You don't want to do that today. T- too far down that rabbit hole. No. Um, I want to <laughs> talk about. Um, Something. Oh, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say I'm doing well, bro. I'm doing well. I got a lot. I got 16 days of travel in the 28 days of February. One of them is to your state. So maybe I'll see you again. Wait, where are you going in Texas? Uh, back to UST and uh, and then Dallas to do some stuff with Word on Fire. Oh, nice. I would love to see you. Um, when you come to UST, you should let me know when we are not live on the air. <laughs> what a blessing. <laughs> what a blessing. Um, so, um, so one thing that is also a blessing most of the time is going to Mass. Would you agree? I would agree. I think Mass is the best. Mass, mass is great. Um, but sometimes Masses can be boring. Could you also agree with that? No. Really? <laughs> Come on. Uh, you know what, dude? It depends. I mean, yeah, there are. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes you, masses uh, can be boring if I am if I did not prepare myself for it or if the, the homily might be bad or something or the music's bad, then it, it does not help. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does not help and assist, you know, you experiencing a good mass. Now. Yeah. I get it. Uh, we've talked about this before. I'm gonna we're gonna try to tackle it from a different angle. But before we try to tackle it from a different ang- different angle, just just know to stick with us. There there is a point to this. Um, and like yes, I understand the mass is the source and the summit of our faith. But um, what I'm going to argue is that the church itself does not um, believe that when providing its masses, and therefore we the people often struggle seeing mass for the beautiful blessing that it is. That is that is my uh, mission statement for this segment. Taylor is about to get rad trad. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing. This is actually something that I have heard um not just from rad trads, but I have I have heard a statement recently. I've heard this statement a lot over the last few years, and I myself had said this statement that I am about to show you that I disagree with. Okay. I am a, I I have said this. Here's Here's the thing. Here's the quote. I have said it. A lot of people in ministry have said it. I tweeted this out, and I was glad to hear that some people have not heard it. But in the circles that I've been in, and all the different circles, circles in college, circles in grad school, circles in ministry, circles on the internet. Like, I've just heard this a lot of places. Um, Kind of putting the impetus on the individual person for um, 
if you you got something out of mass, right? Now, before I even say anything, I know that mass is not for me. It is for us to go to God, but like it's also where we receive grace. So there is a little something in it for us too, right? Okay. Yeah. Here's the statement. Okay. Here's what here's what I wrote, and I want to get your your uh, rebuttal um, against this or your agreement. Let's see what you think. Here's what I tweeted. The quote: "If you are bored in mass, you'll be bored in heaven." Is something that almost uh, everybody in ministry have, has said. I have said it. But I seriously doubt that heaven has the crappy music, crappy preaching, and crappy participation that we have at our masses. So, though I have said the statement, I no longer believe that it is true. Okay. That's your statement? That is, that is my statement. If you're bored in mass, you'll be bored in heaven. I no longer agree with. Okay. So it's funny you mentioned it's funny that that's the version that you remember because the version I remember is from Mark Hart and, and I love Mark. Mark has been very instrumental in my faith life. Like I feel like he's just always kind of been there, like since my first NCYC, like in eighth grade, until yeah, that like dude never ages for real. And, and, and he's and he does have a very great gift of speaking and, and the way he does it, bro, in the middle of his like altar and and really mass is about i mean he gets real real deep with it and i'm not even gonna go in there right now but he'll be like in the middle of that he'll just go mass isn't boring you are right. <laughs> and i'm always just like oh my gosh i am um and he's not necessarily wrong although i don't know that that's the way to go about it now that i'm a little bit older so i want to say i'll say this taylor to your statement that if you're bored of mass you'll be bored in heaven that you're saying that that's not true I think it's I think it's problematic to say that because then it makes people like you're saying feel like like it's our fault uh, if we're bored and sometimes it could be a lot of it is just like like I would say most Catholics just have no idea what's actually happening at mass uh, and then I would say that I don't know if I'd say most but I'm trying to be very careful here bro many I'll agree with you many masses in America that I have been to um, are less than inspiring. And the pastors or priests that are that are saying those masses um, are seem less than in it. And if they yeah. if they themselves are leading this mass, if Jesus is leading this mass through them, and they're supposed to be guiding us there and helping open our eyes for what is happening and the miracle that is the mass, where we're literally lifted up into heaven, and they don't seem interested, how am I supposed to be interested? Right. So I could see that, but though, but then, bro, I think of like some of the best masses I've ever been to, where. Like I think of like a mass at Seek, which I think does a great job of like ever ancient, ever new. They do the entrance antiphon, the communion antiphon, and everybody there is singing. And some people have their hands up and some people are veiled. And it's just beautiful. And the homily is awesome. Like that is at a moment like that. I'm like, yeah, bro, if that's happening and you can kind of see heaven for a little bit there, like totally get it. But that's just not the reality of most masses in America. Right. Like, it's funny because a lot of us that have been around the church for a long time use stuff like Seek or Steubenville or like a retreat mass or something where it's like we remember those because they were special because so many of the other experiences just aren't special. Right. And yeah. they should be like because that's the thing is like like things that are still true. Like the mass is when like heaven and earth collide, like God you know, takes bread and wine and makes it himself like it is heavenly right and but like kind of like what you were just saying i have a very similar experience where like i have been at tremendous masses where like i felt like the church served god well and served the people well which is what the church is there for to serve god and serve the people of god right where like god was worshiped well and they invited us into worship and like if you were checked out at that mass like if i was checked out at that mass that would be a almost a hundred percent on me right yeah. but then i go to a mass where the homily is terrible and the music is by somebody who's never been a musician before and the whole congregation is lethargic and i'm just like that's that's not what heaven is like and like, have there been times where I've been disciplined enough to pay attention and be disciplined and like still have a good mass? Because ultimately we still get, I still got Jesus at the end. Yeah. But it's like, he, here's, here's where I've, I've, I've gotten frustrated is there have been years of my life, years where I've been at a church, you know, like, you know, you have your home parish or whatever, you know, like wherever you live at different times. And I felt like, Every single week, the impetus was completely 100% on me, whether I had a prayerful, holy experience at Mass, because it felt like the church was almost trying 
to make it terrible. The lectors didn't seem to care. The pastor didn't seem to care. The homilists didn't seem to care. The musicians definitely didn't care. And it's like, you can do those in spurts if you're like a, you know, disciplined follower of Christ. But at some point, it's like, man, like I, I have had t- times where like mass just was didn't feel as good. I didn't feel as connected to God. I didn't feel like I was worshiping God because the church wasn't really helping me out. Right. So to then hear a statement like this, where it's like thrown in my face and I'm just like, I don't know, man, I think, I think I still have some responsibility, but it's not a hundred percent anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you, dude. And I, I oscillate, man. I go all over. I could talk about this for the entire podcast with you. Cause, cause my life's very different now than when I was like, you know, able to go to mass every day all the time. Cause I have three kids now. Right. Uh, it's hard to go to mass with kids. As you know, we could have a whole segment on that. It sometimes just feels ridiculous. I once had a conversation. I won't say his name, but I had a conversation with a professor at Franciscan um, who who has tons of kids and like literally, I mean, literally travels the world to speak and share the gospel. And he's like, yeah, I don't we don't take our kids to church until they're 12. (laughs) I know exactly who you're talking about because I had that person as a professor and I asked him the same question and got the same answer. (laughs) I don't know know if it was public or not. Uh, I, I don't know if it is either. <laughs> so we're just going to not say names, but, but, I, but, and so that's a whole nother thing, right? It's like, man, how am I, I'm like, let, this past Sunday, bro, I had the absolute worst experience of mass at a, a and it was probably the best homily I've heard in a long time. The most challenging one It was a brand new church we went to because we were trying it out near me here. And uh, my kids were just out of their minds. They're never that bad. They've never once been that bad. They probably won't be that bad again. And it was tough. And I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh. So I, and I honestly back forward because part of me, part of me is like, I don't, I don't try to enter in the way I used to when I had more time. Um, and so part of me is like, maybe it is on me. And then the other part of me is like, I oh, don't beat yourself up. It's on them. <laughs> so, so I have right. no idea who to blame, but I do know this, bro. Since COVID, I have not done a good job preparing myself or my family for mass on Sundays. And I do think that does make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. The preparation thing. Um, I, yeah, I totally agree. So like, I guess my point is that it's not a hundred percent on me, which I feel like a lot of people think that it is. And like, mm-hmm. that's what the statement is saying. Like, it's on you. If you're like, even like with Mark Hart, I love Mark, but it's like, I'm, I'm not boring. <laughs> like I, I'm not, I'm, I, I can be many things. I'm bad at a lot of things. One thing that I am not is boring, <laughs> but sometimes mass still is right. Yeah. So like it's, it's stuff like that. And like a lot of times it's like trite sayings, but like they're not trite to listeners who either never have a good experience at mass or people like me who have had great experiences at mass and terrible and everywhere in between. Right. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't ring true. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about the, the music and the preaching, but like also like the participation. And I just, I, I was thinking about this in, in mass the other day and, and it was, it did not come from a place of this mass is crappy. It actually came from, we, we have a new pastor out of Paris and I love him to death. And like masses have been really good since he's been here. And so it came more out of a place of Thanksgiving of like, I suffered for so long going to masses where I just felt dead because the congregation felt dead because yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot. Right. Um, and I, and, but like this the, the, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in mass and I'm just like, this is, I got a taste of heaven. Right where it's like everybody seemed to be participating this day the homily was good the music was better than normal you know like it was (laughs) but it was like i just pictured heaven of like the angels constantly singing and everyone participating and obviously like the leader of it is you know god and it's like i just think heaven is going to be so glorious when we get there that uh that we can't we just can't even mass we just can't even compare it to heaven, right? It's kind of denigrating heaven to compare it to like our local <laughs> Sunday mass or whatever. Um, but at the same time, it did give me hope and like and like hope for experiencing that more when I go to mass, experiencing that taste of heaven. Yeah, yeah, because that's what it is, right? It is a taste. And and when you talk about participation, part of the issue there, and part of the reason people use those phrases of mass isn't boring, you are, or if you're bored in mass, it's you'll be bored in heaven. And part of the reason people use that is that like is a way to let people know, like, you have no idea what's happening here, right? And I try to teach my kids that stuff. Like, when you, like, we just lost my grandpa, my, the, who was married to my nana, who we lost this past year, too. And I'm teaching my kids, like, you, the closest you'll ever be to them again is at that part of Mass when the priest is praying uh, and and we're, we're praying and we're singing with all the angels and the saints. They're there, right? We believe that they're here. And if, like, if you're actually imagining that as a kid, as an adult, 
um, then it's really tough to say it's boring, but it's really tough to enter that prayer if <laughs> if all the things that are, are happening that happen at a lot of parishes, whether it's bad preaching or bad music or whatever. Or, in the, or my thing, bro. I'm going to get on, me down this rabbit hole right now. I know you won't let me because we have segment timings and stuff. But like my whole thing is like I, I, I firmly believe that I that getting a master's in theology did more harm than good for my spirituality. Um, and so I like a priest starts making up his own consecration prayers. And I'm just like, I just am filled with rage. I'm like, oh, you think you're better than than what the what the literal right says that we're supposed to do? Are you and I just lose it. And then I'm like, Ugh. so it's just it's wild. There, there's your red tread moment. Yes, <laughs> there it full is. Circle. Um, I I, re- I I really liked what you said about to your kids. I hadn't even thought about that, right? Because like uh, my kids haven't had to deal with much loss yet, um, but I dealt with it a lot when I was a kid, and I I had kind of forgotten that somebody told me something similar to what you you just told your boys, um, and like I I remember like all through high school, like one of the things that got me through the grief of losing teammates and classmates and teachers and like just over and over and over again family members um was somebody saying exactly what you said to your boys and i would picture that at mass like i would picture them you know being there it was just a a really cool moment so like it's one of those things like i i it's almost like instead of blaming individuals what i really want is is for both parties to come to the table right for for us as lay people and you know con- congregants at mass to make the commitment to bring our full participation and try to make the best out of this mass but i also want our, our parishes to come to the table and say like we also are going to recognize the the beauty of what we have here and give it the beauty and reverence and, and preparation that it's due so yeah. um yeah i i just think that you know we the, we we the people and the and the church just um this, you know, it's it the, the mass is like the liturgy, the work of the people, right? So it's it's all of us in this together. Um, so it's just a desire I have, something that I've experienced positively, negatively, that I want to experience more positively, more often. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm with you. Cool. All right. Well, do not go anywhere. We are going uh, to come back, and I'm going to yell some more about some other church rules. This oh is gosh. Be Valentine's Day is right around the corner, my friends. Do you have a date? I realize this is like this is kind of sounding like the old commercial. Like, do you know where your children are? It's, it's 6 p.m. or whatever it was. It's like, it's three days before Valentine's. Do you know who your date is? Uh, if you do, great. If you're married, I mean, it's the same person you've been dating for quite some time. If you are single and do not have a date yet, you can try to find one. Find a Catholic one over on Catholic Match. You can download the app today. Start a free profile, um, fortecatholic.com slash catholicmatch, or just, you know, open up your phone and go to your app store and download it today for free. Find your Catholic love story today. Start it right now around this Valentine's Day. Do it. Do it now. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. I am Taylor Schroll, and that is Jonathan Lene Bearded Blevins. And I'm gonna yell maybe even more than I did in the last segment because I have I have some bones to pick. Are you ready for this, Johnny? I don't think that I am ready for this. I'd like to say that, but I am uh, ready. It's funny. In our prep for the show, we both asked uh, questions of "Will this get me canceled?" Uh, this is my segment for that, and yours is the next one. So we'll yeah. see how this goes. Yikes! Let's see. <laughs> It's been nice knowing you, John. Uh, This is the last time we'll ever be allowed to see each other. Um, So before we get into this premise, um, John, what is an auxiliary bishop? So we have we have our our primary bishop. But what is an auxiliary auxiliary bishop? So an auxiliary bishop is a canon lawyer once actually explained it the the best way that I've known. I don't think it was J.D. Flynn, but it could have been. Um, but basically an auxiliary bishop is like an associate pastor, right? So named, and we'll have the, some of the duties that a bishop has. You can confirm people, you can go to meetings you have to go to, you can help parishes out. You can be a vicar general, which means they act as a bishop when the bishop's out of town and makes decisions that a bishop would need to make. Um, but they are not technically like a real bishop, if you will, in the particular diocese that they're assigned to, which is just kind of a weird rule. It it is weird. So do you, I learned this from, um, uh, Bishop Umbers, who is an auxiliary bishop, I, I, I learned this from years Wait, ago. Wait, Bishop Umbers is a real person? Yes. Are you serious? I thought it was a troll account the whole time. 
No, no, he's a real human bishop in Australia. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! <laughs> I thought it was like a joke, like no, not because no, no, I... not because he's a joke. Because I like his tweets. I just yeah. thought like that it was a, a person kind of trying to be funny and like pretending to be a bishop. That's amazing. Yeah, you thought it was like a, like a, what, what was that one? It was like a pope wrestler or something. You thought yes. it was like that. <laughs> that's amazing, like, pope, Bishop Humbers. Pope, pope Gold, Cold Steve Austin, or something yeah, like that. <laughs> I'm sure he listens no, no. to the show. Bishop Humbers, big fan. Bishop Umbers is a, is a real human person okay. uh, who is a real bishop. Um, he is an auxiliary bishop somewhere in Australia. I don't know the exact diocese, but you know, there's probably you know, four because they have you know two for humans and one for kangaroos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I learned this from him. Do you know? I, I, I learned something from him, and then I did some more research today. Let's see if you know either one. Okay. Um, do you know why auxiliary bishops started? Because the bishop is the man who is in charge of of the entire Catholic diocese. But their their first became auxiliary bishops. Do you know why? I didn't know until like an hour ago. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, what I've been taught is that it is that bishops needed kind of an assistant, if you will, the same way that an associate pastor has no real authority in a parish other than to help the priest that an auxiliary bishop is an assistant that can help the bishop if their diocese is too big. So Chicago has a bunch of them because we have a huge diocese and um, Indianapolis for a long time did not have any. Yeah, that is a great, that is the practical answer, right? And I think that's the answer that a lot of people. So am I half right or am I wrong? You're, 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 you're right, but you're getting, you're right and wrong. You're getting to where we're going, but it's not how auxiliary started. Okay. How it is practically now is dioceses are big and bishops have a lot of responsibility and they need they need or want help, right? To 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 help run the diocese, to help go do confirmations, yeah, blah 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 blah, right? So yep. that's the practical reason that we still do it. The reason that it started was in the early days of the church, um, in dioceses where the entire church was being persecuted they would have to like flee and go in exile, right? So okay. a lot of dioceses, it's primarily in the Middle East and in Africa, it's primarily where this happened, where there was a diocese with a bishop and his congregation, and they yep. were being killed or tortured and all these things, right? So they fled to another diocese and to, to, to live and find, you know, safety, right? Yep. Perfectly fine reason to leave somewhere. Yeah. Go, go for it. Um. So there was a bishop in that whatever area they went to. So let's just say they let's just give an example. They went from northern Africa to Italy and now they're safe in Italy, right? This is just an example. Yeah. Um well there's a there was already a bishop in that region of Italy, but now there's this other bishop who's the bishop of this other land, mm-hmm. but his congregation and he cannot go back to that land yep. because of the persecution and his congregation is now in this other land right so it's this weird thing of like well he doesn't really have authority here in this diocese but that doesn't mean he's not still a bishop he's still a bishop of that place in northern africa right but he's just not there in northern africa he's serving and helping somewhere else so he would start to help in that area right makes so he's still technically the bishop of northern africa place Mm -hmm. but he is now serving in italy that's how it started and then this kept going and kept going. And then bishops started realizing, like, oh, this is nice. Like, I don't have to work as much. I've got help. I, I, I can, uh, you know, send somebody else to do the dirty work. And this is, this is really cool. So it's become a practical thing. But, like, Bishop Umbers, I forget. It's been years now. But Bishop Umbers serves in Australia. And he's been in Australia, like, I believe, if not his whole life, like his whole ministry life, right? Yeah. But he is actually the bishop. Of some defunct diocese. It's a defunct diocese that is no longer a diocese, doesn't have a bishop, doesn't have people. He is the bishop of that so that he can be the auxiliary bishop in Australia. So every time somebody is elected to be an auxiliary bishop, the Pope gives them the bishopric over a place that no longer exists. (laughs) Well, it exists, right? But just the diocese doesn't exist there. Right. The diocese doesn't exist. And like. I looked into some of the canon law stuff and like, I, you know, I, I'm not a canon lawyer, but essentially it's like, they're still, you know, they, we can do this. This is, uh, it's allowed for auxiliary bishops to be a thing because they could always open up these old dioceses. But then there was an update to canon law a few years ago that said, yeah, we're not ever going to actually try to reopen these dioceses. So like, isn't, isn't the other part of it that we have, that the, that the, because the church is universal, that there has every cent, like every centimeter of land has to be covered under a diocese and so if there isn't one then they also do that isn't that like part of it too 
I have no idea. I don't know that part. I mean, that I would mean, make I, sense. I don't know if some is somebody responsible for Antarctica. I don't know. I I heard, and again, this is just do not. I heard it from someone who's a bishop, so don't if they're wrong, that's fine. But I heard that most bishops are like a bishop of two places. Oh, nice. Like one place, like if it's Green Bay, and then some that bishop might have something out in a, a ridiculous place you've never heard of as well. Northern no Iceland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no one there. Okay, so here here's my thing. Okay, is it started off in a good way. And then it it honestly became, um, in my cynical mind, more about making the bishop's life easier. And to be fair, I am not against that. I am not against you know hiring more people, bringing more people in. You know, even if it was a business, it'd be like hiring another manager, right? Yeah. Okay, perfectly fine. Uh, the bishops need to do that. That's fine. But here, here's where I get frustrated, John. Stick with me here. I'm trying for a second. Here we go. You're second. doing okay. fine so far. That's all my stuff about associate or uh, um, auxiliary bishops. Um, would you or would you not agree that auxiliary bishops, they've kind of just made up this, the, the, the bishops have kind of made up this thing to make their lives easier. That's how I'm seeing it. What do you think? So that is one way to phrase it. A way that I would probably <laughs> phrase it is that through the tradition of the church led and guided by the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us, um, the, a problem arose and the spirit had a solution and the church has kind of done that in a lot of different ways. And so I would say, I would, so yeah, I would say your, your way is one way of saying it. Another way of saying it is like, yeah, the, the bishop, the diocese got way too big with way too many parishes. There's a lot of Catholics. And so we need, they need help. And so, yeah, they, the, the Holy spirit came up with a solution. I, I agree that the church is led by the Holy spirit, but I think it's also been proven that, um, <laughs> The bishops also make mistakes. I think that's been proven a lot that's recently. Um, so in this particular case, I think it is the bishops, kind of, or, or some bishops, whatever, um, kind of taking advantage of a thing that it wasn't meant to be this. It was literally they started it because of exile, and now they're just like, oh, I want help. You're now the bishop of Tunisia or something. You know, like, it's, it's, it seems very convenient now, again, I don't disagree that they should need help, but this is just a weird, complicated, over-convoluted rule to um, bring some ease to the bishop's life. That's what I'm that's that's how I'm looking at this today. This is the mood that I am in. As Father Anthony would say, it does seem a bit as Father Anthony would say, whoo, whoo. <laughs> as he would say, it does seem a bit silly. Yes. OK, so here's here's. Um, there's layers to this. That's what the bishops are doing. So me as a Catholic, um, I think a lot of people struggled a few years ago when bishops were making real big mistakes, not the kind of joking auxiliary thing that we're talking about now. But when shepherds do something and the sheep, the flock, see that, then it's like, well, why would I follow that guy? Because he's a criminal, right? A lot of people experienced that a few years ago. But even now, I'm, I think I've kind of gotten over that, or at least for the most part. It still sucks, but it's like I've moved on to other problems, right? Um, so I'm looking at this, and I'm I'm sitting here thinking, like, that seems kind of uh, pharisaical, kind of a made-up human rule. That does not seem to me like a God, Scripture-inspired, tradition-inspired rule. It seems kind of made up for someone's, uh, you know, comfort or benefit, right? So here's my question. Okay. If the bishops can do that, why, if, the, if they can make up rules or don't have to follow rules and just change the rules, why do I have to do things like the church says, like, you know, not eat for an hour before mass? That seems arbitrary and made up. <laughs> I don't see that in scripture anywhere. I don't see that in the early church. Now, I get that fasting is a good thing, but why is that a requirement on all Catholics? Why do I have to follow that if the bishops are just going to make up their own rules? <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going. Oh, I, 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 I'm just, we're, we're, we're uh, I'm digging myself a hole here. We're going to see how <laughs> deep I can go. <laughs> and so, you know, the, I think, I think that when, when you follow the church's teachings to the best of your ability and you're able to understand the good that comes from them. So the good of fasting before, right before mass is that you would focus your, your physical hunger spiritually and hunger for the Eucharist. And that makes sense. And it's annoying, certainly. And, and there are many things I find kind of annoying um, that, the, that the church kind of asks that we do. Um, but what I'm doing, I get why they do it. And I and here's the, here's, what, here's my thing, bro. 
as much as I can understand, you know, a lot of people being angry about a lot of things happening in the church. No one is, I, I, I picture like going to heaven. No, no one's going to get to heaven and God's going to be like, you know what? <clears throat> you really shouldn't have followed all those rules. <laughs> that was really stupid. I just don't see that happening. <laughs> I, I could see him being like, hey, man, some of those things you guys believed, kind of weird. Welcome, though. Thanks for trying. But I don't think he's right. going to be like, you know, that was dumb. You're an idiot. So that's where I'm like, I'm just going to try to trust and, and, and do what the church asked me to do and that the Lord is going to reward me for it. Yeah, I think ultimately you're right. But I do think that there are some things that we do in the church that are weird and arbitrary. And God's like, why are you doing that? And I think one of those is like, here's here's an example. It's 30 minutes before mass. I have a snack. And now it's like, if I'm following the rules of the church, I can't receive Jesus for the week. Like, yes, I know that there are other days, but you know, let's be real. I just go on Sundays. It's like, I'm not receiving Jesus for the week because I had a cracker. You know, 30 minutes before that just seems like something like I'm, I'm thinking about this and, and I and and then I read the Gospels about the Pharisees and I'm like, this is a rule they would have made up. <laughs> Sometimes we are Pharisees. It just um, seems so made up. It it, it can. And, and uh, but I think that that's a whole and I know this is not the direction you're going down, but I'm just having fun with you. This is I love being on your show. Uh, it's, it's, uh, let's see if you still say that after my next example. <laughs> oh gosh. So, I mean, cause like the, I think, I think in general, we have a huge problem in the church where, with, with people not, and I'll say myself included, like I know what the Eucharist is. And I think sometimes that I take it for granted. And then I, and so doing things like that, like being like, oh crap, I accidentally had, you know, breakfast and I didn't know we we're going to go to this mass. I know it was an accident, so it's not really sinful. But I'm I'm just gonna abstain. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take communion today, I, but, and then hopefully look forward to receiving the next time. That's like what you're supposed to do. And most of us, myself included, are just like, eh, okay, whatever. I'm just gonna receive. And so I like we're only supposed we only have to receive like what is it, once a year. Like I, I think yeah, I think yeah. that we should I think that we should treat it as more of a a gift um, that we are ready to receive sometimes. And my, I'm talking All about right. myself. Like myself yeah, yeah. included. Yeah. When I found out that you could do, when I found out that you could do like a, an imperfect or a perfect, a perfect act of contrition and then receive and try to go to uh, confession at your next available time. It's like, I stopped ever not receiving. <laughs> it's like, that's not well, the like, point. Yeah. That was the thing for me is like when I was younger, I always heard like, if you have any sin, you can't receive it. And then I had a priest in confession who knows me really well. And it was kind of mix of spiritual direction and, and, uh, and confession where he told me, I, I told him, I was like, I have not received, you know, for three weeks or I received under sin or, or what, whatever. Right. And he, he literally told me, he's like, you are feeling too much Catholic guilt. Um, you're beating yourself up too much. Like next time you go to mass and you feel like this receive, as long as you try to get to confession, the next available time, like what you yeah. were just saying. Right. And I was like scandalized by that, but then I started listening to him. But now, like that was ten years ago or eight years ago. It's like, is that does that still apply? That was a confession <laughs> right. that I got eight years ago. So now, like even now, I'm like, now we're making up rules on the made up rules, you know? <laughs> and that's where you just have to blindly trust your pastor, right? Yeah, I'm like that's what I'm saying, and like I'm trusting this guy because uh, God said if you lead one of these little ones, uh, you know the 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 weight's gonna be tied around your neck. And you'll be thrown in the sea. I'll be fine. It's on him. Um, so he, here's my last thing. And this is where we might get a little spicy, especially as we're uh, moving into Valentine's, which we will talk about next next segment. But Can't this, wait. This has, this has to do with for the married people, okay? Yeah. You're married, I'm married. Um, and, and if you're listening to this and you're not yet married, you'll have to deal with this at some point. <laughs> so here's, here's something that I have struggled with that I have not talked about much publicly. But both theologically and practically, I have struggled with the idea of NFP. Natural family planning, mm -hmm. because uh, kind of a lot in the similar in these. I, I think I've struggled for it for two reasons. One, I'm a fallen sinner and a human being. Um, the second is it kind of falls in this line of it feels like something made up because it just came out 30, 40, 50 years ago, whatever, what it, whenever it started. Right. But it is a relatively new thing that um, we have tried and tried and tried and it's gone well and it's not gone well for a plenitude of reasons. Right. And it, it's one of those things where it's like, I've trusted the church. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. But, I mean, I don't know. The church is 2,000 years old. We just started talking about NFP 30 years ago. It seems kind of pharisaical and made up. <laughs> uh, you, you know, one of my favorite quotes, Taylor, that helps me 
stay super excited about being Catholic when it's tough. Because uh, I'm with you. I'm married. NFP's tough. I think there's a lot of resources needed uh, around that still. I think a lot of couples who teach it kind of promise the world and it doesn't always seem like that that's the reality. Um, but someone told me once, if the world lasts 10,000 more years, then we're part of the early church. Yeah. How scary is that? <laughs> Forte Catholic people reading and, and the transcripts of Forte Catholic yeah, 10,000 years from now. They're going to listen to this segment and they'll be like, Church Father Taylor Schroll, <laughs> this is why he's not a saint. I'll yeah. be the origin of 2000. Oh, he said some nice things, but he's definitely not a saint. He's <laughs> your NFT <laughs> take right now is your Thomas Merton uh, scandal. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, but so I, I get I get where you're coming from for sure, and I think it can be tough. But I, it's one of those things where the the you know church teaching the Holy Spirit is going to continue to reveal things. And uh, man, if you if you like, if, it's tough when you read when you read what what Saint John Paul II said right in his in his series of of talks and homilies. Um, it really does make sense, and it kind of opened up like a lot of eyes in the church and what what sex can be used for and, and what it what the purpose of it is. And I get that as as frustrating as it can be. Um, but again, I'm where I'm at is just like okay, I'm gonna get if I get to heaven, the Lord makes fun of me for trying NFP. I, I he better not punish me for it. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And so it's like I'm gonna trust it and hope for the best. Yeah, and like it's one of those things that like. I trust the church and the church is always is, you, usually smarter than me, other than the auxiliary bishop thing. It's kind of a <laughs> sham, uh, but the church has not led me astray. Right. So like we, even though I have never really intellectually been behind NFP, I've practiced it for years and years and years and years. Right. Um, but it, 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 it sucks. Right. Because like it, to it's, it seems like I've been using this pharisaical thing. It seems like it's putting rules on married people that I'm not 100% uh intellectually and theologically sure need to be there right i was at my sister's wedding a couple of months ago and i heard the vows that you say at mass like will you be open to life and you have to say yes right yep but i don't i don't know i i, I just struggle with the fact that that means either don't have as much love making or have 13 kids i'm just not sure that open to life means have 20 kids. I'm just, I'm just not sure. Right. It's something I'm wrestling with. I'm not like, you know, I'm not, this isn't my declaration of like, I'm not doing this anymore. Right, it's right. just like, it just, it just sucks. It just, and it doesn't make sense to me. So like when something intellectually and practically is just difficult and doesn't make sense, it just makes me question it. And then like, it doesn't help that bishops seem to just make up rules too. So it kind of, I don't know. It's just something I've been wrestling with and I know it's not great. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so this is my cancel segment, but it's just like, I, like, go forth and multiply. I get it, right? Like, that, that was the one of the first commandments. And we, we said we were being open to life, but it's like, does that really have to mean at every moment for 20 years of that you're married and, and fertile? Like, it just seems over the top and kind of made up to me. Yeah, I, one, here's this is something you should do. You should clip what I'm about to say and save it for later. I think, because this would be such an, such a non forte Catholic thing to do. Cause it, with this segment, I, you're, I think you're being very vulnerable and, and sharing cool stuff. I, like you should have an entire episode in Feb somehow in February, or March on NFP and, and bring in different people and talk to them about it. I just think, I really do think that you're going to get feedback about this segment and that people would love that and listen to it. And I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. That would be your most listened to episode in 2022. We'll go back to that and you can roast me in nine months when we're recording a podcast talking about it. You you just, you just want to be the co-host for that. So you can finally be on one of the popular episodes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I think there was a year that I had the crown. Um, but I, you know, I do, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that we, I think we do need, we need more people out there who are teaching what NFP is and, and, and the advantages of it, who don't have 20 kids and there's nothing wrong with 20. God bless you. That's, that's amazing. Um, uh, and, and another part of it, and that kind of end here for me, cause I know I'm doing so good at, at talking today. I know you'd want me to talk more, you know, you're doing great. You're doing great. Is, is I'm that so proud like, of you. <laughs> we need, I think that the it's it's tough because the way the way that america works it makes nfp about 15 times more difficult than it should be like there's no reason that 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 with the salary that i make there's no reason that my wife and i should ever even question about how many kids we could have there's no there's no but can i send them to public school where they're going to learn ju literally just ridiculous things about that, that have nothing to, like in line with our church or a catholic school that might not have any catholic identity at all 
which costs $10,000 a kid for, you know, grades K through 12. What am I supposed to do? I make millions and then may, and then I can have 15 kids and then I can send them. All. So I think there's a lot going on that we can unpack that makes it tough. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep trying to trust the church. Yeah, well, that's that is a tremendous idea. And I think we should do that because I have had these thoughts for a very long time and I have held them in because I know that uh, disagreeing with something that the church teaches or even wrestling with it is often a cancelable cancelable offense, right? But the the thing that gave me um, the the strength to muster to even bring this up here is I have seen so many people in private conversations that I have had struggle with this, but never talk about it publicly because they're in ministry or they're, you know, respected in the church, or I have seen it very honestly. I've seen people talking about it on their Twitter alt accounts, not their public accounts, but the accounts where they <laughs> small, smaller with people that they trust. That's not public. And it's just like, there are so many people that I think are struggling with this and nobody's talking about it. Um, other than you have to do this or you're going to hell. And it's just like, right. I mean, maybe you're right, but can we at least have a conversation about the struggles that I'm having with it? Or that I, I think other people are having. So I think, I think that's a great idea, John. And I think I might just uh, take you up on that. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we're going to, you know, take a break from uh, me trying to get canceled and we're going to have a little bit of lighter fun. And this is our Valentine's Day episode where we're talking about love and all things involved. Uh, but John and I are going to we, we shared a while back about um, our engagement stories. We are going to dive this time into best and worst dates that we have ever had. And we are also going to dive into how we first, uh, you know, met our wives and made them our Valentines to this day. So do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. Our YouTube channel is continuing to grow. We are working towards our goal of a thousand subscribers by the end of the year, even hopefully the summer, even if then that, that would be even better. We are right around 700 subscribers and we are looking to get to that thousand. So if you have not subscribed yet, please do so. I'm gonna tell you why you should. Not only do we have full length episodes of this podcast where you can see us and our beautiful guests, uh, but you can also watch other things. We have a whole Catholic perspective series on, um, you know, talking about uh, our favorite TV shows and movies through the lens of faith. We have uh, videos of me speaking a little bit more serious than I am on this show, you know, speaking to, to youth groups, to parishes, those sorts of things. Um, all of that can be found at youtube.com slash Catholic. Hit that subscribe button today. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. I am Taylor Stroll, and that is John. And John was so pastoral and loving that last segment. Uh, you you might have just protected me in my career. I'm so proud of you. I got your back, bro. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, let's try to get you canceled. <laughs> Great. I might be. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about best and worst date stories. I'm going to let you go first and choose which one you want to do. Best and worst dates that you have ever had. Okay. I'm going to go worst. I'm going to go worst first. Just get okay. this out of the way. Sure. So when I was 19 or 20 years old, I really don't remember how old. I, I might have also been 18, but it was over 18. I was working at Noodles and Company. By the way, I loved that job and I love fast food service. And one day, one of my dreams is to franchise a Chick-fil-A. It's uh, fast food? What is Noodles and Company? Noodles and Company? It's like, it's like uh, you ever heard of Mod Pizza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Mod Pizza for noodles, kind of. Like, okay, like you, cool. Yeah, different noodle dishes and stuff. They're kind of they're kind of big. I think they originated in Wisconsin or California. And nice. they're kind of all over now. And <clears throat> so I'm working there. And I learned not everything, but I learned, like, I was making salads. I was cash register. I was bus, I was busser. And I ended up learning how to cook and prep the meat. So I ended up doing a lot of stuff there. Well, because I was kind of like, see, like you know, right below the the, the general manager of that store, uh, I the was the auxiliary able to, bishop. If you yes, will. I was the auxiliary bishop of noodles. Uh, I got away with you know giving away free cookies and Rice Krispie treats every once in a while. And so if I saw a girl that I thought was cute, I would write and 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 you know flirt. I thought was being flirtatious with me. Uh, I wrote like my number on a napkin. I would wrap the Rice Krispie treat in it and then hand it to, and I have so many funny stories. And, and like, and by the way, so many people texted and, and good fun conversations, whatever. But one time this, this beautiful person walked in, again, I'm like 18, 19 years old. And I did the whole Rice Krispie thing. And immediately she like thanks me uh, when she leaves uh, after eating um, and then hands me her phone number as well. And then she texted me right away. So I would know it was her. And we scheduled a date to go to Olive Garden. This was one of the first times that I ever like actually went on a date from from giving away Rice Krispie treats. 
And it finally worked. <laughs> so yeah. So we get to uh, to Olive Garden, and it, she told me that she was 19 years old and that she was a Harvard student. Okay, and I believe I, I believe it was a very affluent area. Made sense. Uh, so so we're at Olive Garden and we're talking and and bro, it was the, the date could not have gone any worse, right? I'm sitting there. I didn't like. I wasn't super. I wasn't a foodie yet. I worked at Noodles. That was like the best food I, I was into at the time. <laughs> so Olive Garden even felt kind of fancy for me. And, You're like, uh, I learned how to cook. What could you cook? Noodles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just awkward, like dating before you're 21. Like you don't have to have a drink on a date, but it's like way more chill to be like, I'm going to have a glass of wine. So I'm just sitting there with my Coca-Cola and, and where we start talking. And I kind of, I really wanted to impress her. She was very cool. And so I told her that I was really smart and into philosophy. And she was majoring at Harvard in philosophy on a full ride scholarship. Halfway through the meal, as I'm like covered in sauce, um, she tells me that she's a genius. And I was like, excuse me. And she's like, I, I have a confession to make. I lied to you about my age. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm actually like, she, I think she was either 16 or 17. So she's like two or three years <laughs> younger than me. But like, that's scary stuff, bro. I was like 18, 19 years old. I was like, what, like that, what's going on? Here? That's like, illegal. It, like, what's going on, you know? And, uh, and she's like, but I really am in Harvard. She shows me her ID. She like was an actual genius. And like, I, like I Googled her later and like, she like got some crazy scholarship and she was like a high school kid in, uh, in college. But bro, that's like, so that part was the worst part. I literally got up and left when I found out how old she was. But right before she told me that, she asked me who my favorite philosopher was. And the only answer I prepared, because I knew she was a philosophy major, the only answer I prepared for the date was Thomas Aquinas, because I was Catholic and I was just kind of getting into my faith, right? So I was like, Thomas Aquinas. And right before I could say it, she goes, and please don't tell me Thomas Aquinas, because he is a joke. <laughs> and I literally said, because I couldn't think at all, I was just like, Aristotle. Uh, 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 Aristotle. Descartes. Descartes. God is dead. <laughs> and she, and she, goes, she goes, oh my gosh, I love Aristotle. Please tell me your favorite work by him. What are you like? What am I supposed to say there, bro? I'm pretty smooth. I literally was just like, uh, yeah, I, I really have no idea. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm a yeah. Thomas Aquinas fan. You just roasted him. Then she right. immediately tells me how old she is. I got up, I left, never talked to her again. Horrible date. That's but incredible. I did, so but I did pay. Oh, good. Congratulations. <laughs> you left You left a paper trail for this illegal event. <laughs> Isn't that a wild story, though? Like, who lies about their age for an Olive Garden date? Uh, girls. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. I wonder yeah, where crazy. she is now. Uh, uh, did you not watch any of the presidential debate? She's probably up there. <laughs> <laughs> probably. So that's my worst date ever. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. I, I am. I am proud of you that you got up and left after. Very good for you. Thank you. I am very also obvious really decision. happy. I am just really also happy that she just proved very quickly that she was smarter than you. <laughs> oh, immediately. Well, not really. If I, I wish I could talk to her like five years later and be like, tell me why you hate Thomas Aquinas. But I had no idea who he was back then. Yeah. All right. My, my worst date was uh, not illegal. I was, uh, I was probably, I was, I think I was 16 and my date was 16. So I too was on a date with a 16 year old, okay. but I was then the same age. And uh, this was me pretty close to the peak of my powers, like in really good shape. Still, still, re you know, relatively good looking to what I am now. You know, like you know, I, I was, I was pretty smooth with the ladies. Like this was, this was, you know, I peaked around sixteen to nineteen, and this oh was right, gosh. right in that span, right. Um, and um, so I'm on this date with this beautiful woman that I was dating. Um, beautiful, uh, but but a a uh, a thicker body. So like you think like softball player or soccer player, not fat, but just you know muscular, right. So not not light or tiny, right? But here I am. I'm this big, burly football player, and I should be, I and I have before. We'd been dating for a while. I sh I should be able to, you know, pick her up and you know carry her around and all these things, which we have done. But we are leaving a Chili's, where we okay. had a tremendous date, and she gets on my back, right? Where like her arms are are on my back and her legs are kind of wrapped around like my back and my hips, right? Yeah. So she's like, I'm carrying her out. On my on my back on my shoulders, um, and I have no problem because I was a very strong boy, right? And uh, the only problem was a couple of things. It had been lightly raining. It had been drizzling. Oh no! Um, and there was like a uh, a uh, wheelchair ramp, so it sloped down, right? Yep. And it was freshly painted. 
So I'm on this date with this beautiful woman who is, I mean, she's gorgeous, but had dealt with some issues with like feeling like she was overweight, even though she wasn't at all. It was just kind of a thing that she had dealt with uh, because she was a little, you know, thicker framed. And uh, yeah, I slipped and dropped her. Oh, no. <laughs> Did you we like were, fall forward or backwards? I or fell, just dropped. I I fell, I started falling backwards and I tried to catch myself and we ended up like falling sideways, like into the water, into the mud. Like we oh, are no. drenched, we're muddy. I like, we, we you know, kind of hurt ourselves. Like I hurt my hip. Did it turn you know, into a rainy notebook moment where you both looked at each other and it was like this funny, cool thing or was it just horrible? Uh, in the notebook, people cry. She also cried. That was oh, the no. only. That was the only uh, connection there. Oh, that's <laughs> it so was sad. real bad. It was real bad because like I I felt terrible. Not only because I dropped a human being, but because like she felt fat, yeah. which she yeah. wasn't right. And I had to keep try. Here I am trying to convince her she's not. She's like, you just dropped me. Oh, no. <laughs> and you're like, well, I know that argument doesn't bode well but uh i <laughs> right. promise it's the rain it's, it was rain and paint that's tough and, and i slipped uh it was the worst it was like one of the worst times not the worst but one of the worst times i ever felt like being a guy like trying to take care of a girl and make her feel special and pretty and all these things i failed her i failed her yeah um and we dated for a few more months and then we've never spoken again <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty bad uh, all right, uh, best date. These will probably be uh, quicker stories. Best yeah, date. my best. It's tough for me to think of my best because really I've had a lot of good dates both before I met my wife, but especially after I met my wife. Um, and it feels kind of cheap to use this one, but I'm going to say that our best date was Aruba on our honeymoon, which again feels like cheating. Um, but it was the last night when all-inclusive – I'll never go anywhere else all-inclusive. It was the best experience ever. And the last night, we heard that there was a restaurant that we just had to go to uh, at the other end of the island, which is like 20 miles. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So we got in a cab. We made a reservation at this really nice restaurant. Got in a cab, and he drove us there. And on the way, he's like talking this place up. He's, he's like, this is heaven. This is stuff out of movies. You're going you're gonna to sit in the water. We're like, what? And so we got there, bro. No, and it's nuts. You walk in. You can smell the fish. It's unreal. You look out. The sun is setting. Aruba water, right? White sandy beaches. It's like insane. There's like nine different shades of blue in the water. And we go sit in our table at our table and our feet are in the water. And, and there's crabs like walking around. And you can see dolphins like, you know, 30 feet away. And we had probably one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. And we just laughed and we talked about like, you know, wanting to have kids. And um, it was our last night there. So we talked about what happened throughout the week. It's just unbelievably beautiful. And then when the lights all, when, when the sun went all the way down, lights like rose <laughs> all around us as so we could continue to look at the water. It was just, it was perfect, bro. It was perfect. It sounds incredible. Uh, mine's actually pretty similar. And I, I did laugh when you said, that it was your honeymoon because I too enjoyed my honeymoon because we didn't have to follow NFP yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But uh, my, my best one was actually our first anniversary. My wife and I were long distance for two and a half years before we got married. So the first, like our first married anniversary was the first time we were together for something like really big and special. So we had no money, but we had saved money for months to have a really good anniversary. We were, uh, we went to Pittsburgh. Uh, we were living in the area. Uh, we went to Pittsburgh and went to Monterey Bay Fish Grotto, which is up Ooh. on on uh, on Mount Washington. Looks over um, uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, you know the, the three rivers. There's like three downtowns. Like if you've seen the Batman movies, like that's Gotham. Like all the all the uh, uh, bridges that Bane blows up. Like those are yeah. the bridges that we're down looking at and everything. And so, so it's way up above the city. So you can look down into the city and similar to, to yours, like I purposely booked it before the sun went down. So we got to be there during the daytime. We got to watch the sunset over the city. And then by the time we left, it was nighttime, right? It was gorgeous. It was uh, best meal I've ever had. Most expensive meal I've ever had. <laughs> um, and then we went to, we went to a broad, uh, Broadway showing of Mary Poppins also in Pittsburgh. And then we went to the casino. Uh, and it was just, just some, we just loved it, man. It was, it was just so memorable. And we spent so much money in a time that we had the least amount of money that we've ever had. Yeah. And so it was just even more special, right? Like we felt like Kings for a night after we were paupers for <laughs> most of That's the days. That's cool, bro. So I love it. It was really cool. So, um, yeah. So the, the last thing, you know, this our, our Valentine's day episode. So you and I talked a few months back about our engagement stories and, 
uh, and then I even put up a video on YouTube a couple, a couple weeks later, actually showing the video of my engagement and my wife and I watched it together and we like put up our reaction on YouTube. It was a lot of fun. You can check that out. Uh, YouTube.com slash Forte Catholic. But we also, um, I want to talk to you about, I don't think we've talked about how we met our wives. So yeah. how did you meet Jody? So I was bartending at a place called Time Out in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and I was a server and a bartender there. I loved it. Again, just love, I love that fast paced environment. And um, she, uh, listen, bro, like I lived in Manitowoc for four or five years. I went on a date with every person that I thought was pretty every 16 year old in town. No, <laughs> no, I, no. Uh, with literally everyone I thought was pretty. I went on a date with and like did not. I was like, I'm never going to find a wife in, in Manitowoc for some reason. Um, and then this girl walks in with like three of her gorgeous friends. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she, like, these girls are clearly not from here or I would have already known them. Um, and so I like went up and I was their bartender and server. And I was and really I found out later that all of them thought that I was cute for some reason and thought that I was charming. Um, but Jody was the one who really caught my eyes. She just had this beautiful smile, uh, these great blue eyes. And uh, and so what I, I didn't do anything I like I, I flirted and stuff, but then they left and I was like, you know what? If it's meant to be, I'll meet him again. You should have given her a free cookie. What is wrong with you? Dude, I didn't have cookies there at the time, just nachos. I did give her free cheese, a free cheese sauce, which she loved. Nice. Um, so a couple weeks later, Wisconsin thing ever. (laughs) Right. A couple weeks later, she comes back for a mutual friend of ours, uh, which I didn't know at the time. I didn't know he knew her. He was a musician and he worked at the same bar. And so he was playing a show that night. Um, And she was there. I said, Hey, do you know her? And he's like, Yeah. Like, and I think they actually went on a date or two once. And uh, I, I said, you know, she looks at, like she kind of likes you. And he's like, yeah, but like, no, it's not like that. And, uh, and, and you know, and I was like, well, is she great? She's like, oh, she's an amazing girl. Uh, you should you should ask her out. And so I did. And we talked on the phone, actually, for hours and hours and hours and hours before we ever went on a first date. Our first two dates kind of sucked, actually. And it was our third date that we were just like, let's just like be who we are when we're on the phone and stop trying to like be who we're not. And uh, then we fell in love. It was very cool. So I met her at a bar. And, and then she asked you... Uh... Uh, who your favorite philosopher was? You said and Thomas I said Aquinas, Aquinas, and she just fell in love with you. <laughs> and she was like, "I'm Lutheran." I was like, "We'll get there." <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't. She know was. That. Yeah, she became Catholic after we got married. Oh wow, I did not know that. Good for you. <laughs> uh, cool. So, uh, for me, we were in uh, in in undergrad together, and it was my sophomore year, and I had just broken up with a. Uh, I've said enough scandalous things today, so I'm not going to say much about her, but I had just broken up with a girl and she was also in my class and she sat next to me in class. And there was this uh, very quiet Hispanic girl that sat way in the front of class. Like I, I'm a back row kind of guy that, you know, the troublemaker and she yep. sat in front, but she slept the whole time through theology class, which I thought was hilarious. Um, <laughs> and then ha- we didn't talk for halfway through the semester, halfway through the semester, we didn't talk. And then I, I, I sang at our Sunday night uh, mass college college sunday night 8 p.m mass it's the most college thing ever that's when the hangover started wearing off you know so uh, i'm singing and i'm singing the psalm and apparently i sang so pretty that she started crying and she didn't know why so she wanted to figure out who i was she knew that we were in class together so she asked her best friend who ironically enough was my valentine's day date the year before okay asked for for my number because she knew that she had it from the year before um, and then we started, she, she texted me and then she was like, you know, she stopped me in front of the church and she was so shy. Hey, I, I heard you sing at mass the other day and it was just really good. And her complimenting me made me fall in love with her. And that's why we got married. <laughs> wow. That's amazing and adorable. <laughs> it's so sweet. So then it was very funny. I, uh, she moved in class from the, the front row to the seat right in front of me. And then my ex-girlfriend got jealous and she brought her new boyfriend to class who wasn't even a student at the school. <laughs> <laughs> and he was there for weeks. <laughs> wow. It was very fun. But uh, anyway, I made the right choice in that, in that, uh, in that realm. We'll just yeah, look at that. you now. I look at me now. <laughs> All right, Johnny, we did it. I think we made it through. We'll see if we get canceled or not. I think you're in the clear. I think I have a 70% chance of being here next week. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Well, I might be back next week. See ya. <laughs> See ya.
Thank you guys so much for watching, listening today. Uh, remember, no hate mail. We hope that uh, our vulnerability and our openness today uh, will be helpful for you guys. If you did enjoy today's show, please remember to hit the subscribe button, whether you are watching on YouTube or wherever you are listening to podcasts. Leave a review, a rating, a comment. Do one of those things. Subscribe and either leave a review, um, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. Comment on the YouTube video. Um, share it with a friend. One of those things. It's a choose your own adventure. Choose one of the four. Um, also, Lent is coming up. I don't know if you guys realize that. It's kind of approaching very quickly. Next week, we're going to be interviewing um, a priest named Father Innocent, who's a CFR, Franciscan friar, um, about his book on Lent. Uh, but I wanted to let you know because uh, there's only about 10 days left from when this episode releases to where you can order the book and be assured that you get it before uh, Lent starts. So that website, I had it right here. Where did it go? Here it is. Born of Fire Book. Born of Fire It's written primarily for guys. So guys, go buy it now. Um, we will convince you next week why you should get the book. But go buy it today. Ladies, um, it comes from Blessed Is She. They're reaching out to the guys. So buy it for one of the guys in your life. That is all for us today. Um, I'm really looking forward to that interview. And we are going to have a surprise guest co-host next week. So make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss it. I'll be back then. Bye.